2 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll read verses 1 through 9. And as we go into our missions conference, we're preparing for God to meet with us. We want to go in with the right mindset, asking God what he would have us to do. Not just as a church, but individually. And fathers, you ought to get with your family, sit down with your children. doesn't matter if they're three years old or uh, 18. As long as they're living in your house, you ought to sit down with them, pray with them, uh, and have each one make their own faith promise commitment. The good thing about Faith Promise Missions is anyone can be involved. Now, there are some that say, Preacher, you know, I've just gotten into church and I don't have a ministry. And, well, you can make missions your ministry because even if you've only been saved for two weeks or for 20 years, everyone, no matter what their age, their income level, uh, everyone can be involved in missions. And that's what we want to explain for a few minutes this morning. First one says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty, they abounded under the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints." And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and diligence, in your love to us, see that ye abound also in this grace I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love, for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye, through his poverty, might be rich. I'm going to ask Brother David Dilworth to lead us in prayer this morning as we come. Amen. 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth. The greatest missionary that ever graced this planet spent 33 and a half years here and in the end gave his life to redeem man from their sins. While he was on this earth, he gathered together 12 men, trained them, and then before he ascended back into heaven after his crucifixion, he gave them the command to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now, I want you to imagine their duty 2,000 years ago without modern technology. Travel was extremely difficult. Just going a distance of 30 or 40 miles was extremely tiresome and tedious. Nowadays, we don't think anything about that. Some of you traveled 30 miles this morning just to come to church. But they were told uh, Judea and Samaria and, and even past that to the uttermost part of the earth, they were supposed to get out and reach the world. Can you imagine them receiving that command in Jerusalem and knowing that they were supposed to go to Asia and to Europe, to Africa, into all the known world taking the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, let me ask you a question. Did they just go out and immediately fulfill that command? No, because they, like us, had a human flesh. And then natural tendency is to kind of sink down, get comfortable, and forget that there's a lost world around us. Seven 
billion. Now, that's hard for us to comprehend. Billion with a B, those are numbers that the mind just doesn't fathom. But 7 billion people are on this planet, 6,000 people groups. Uh, many, many still without a Bible in their language. Many having yet to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 150,000 dying every day. And God says, as children of God, it is our duty to reach them. Now, it's, it's hard to fathom this because we haven't even reached those in our own block, in our own neighborhood. This church has been in this city for 29 years and we have yet to reach our city with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've reached a portion of our city. Then we could talk about our state and then branching out from there. But God commands us to reach 232 countries. And I know that number's constantly changing, so don't come up to me this morning and say, it's actually 235 as of today. The, the, really, the problem is there's so much to do, so little time to do it, and most of us don't even speak a foreign language. So how in the world are we supposed to reach all of those that speak Spanish from here going through Mexico and all the way down through Guatemala and Venezuela and Colombia, reaching down to the tip of Argentina. How in the world can we do that? We have a program called Faith Promise Missions Giving. Here's what the Independent Baptists do. God speaks to hearts and moves and calls someone to go to the foreign field. Now, let me ask you this. So if God speaks and moves in a young man's heart, let's say he, he calls this next week John to go to the mission field. There's only one problem, several problems. Number one, there's a problem of training. So he's going to have to be instructed in ministry. He's going to have to know how to reach people. He needs to know doctrine. He, he needs to know methods. There's a lot of things he has to learn and then get a wife and then the problem if he's, if he's going to move, he's going to need money to finance this project. Now, how in the world, knowing in most foreign countries, Americans can't work in those countries, how in the world is he going to finance the planning and the building of a church? That's why we have faith, promise, missions, giving. Churches all across the United States have gotten together. And as these men travel from church to church, we commit to invest in those men and in those ministries. We share the burden and uh, we often take them on for 100, 200, 300, depending on the man, depending on the ministry, depending on the church. Each local church determines the amount. But we share the burden of that responsibility. So if it takes 3,000 a month for that family to live, we can invest $150, another church can invest $100, another church can invest $200. And as he goes down the road, we band together supporting that man, supporting his ministry. And we begin to pray for him. He gathers prayer support and develops relationships. And he learns more and God uses that year, year and a half, two years to mold him and make him and shape him. And he goes to the field. Now, if... Local churches don't help support that man in his ministry. How in the world is he going to be able to do the work of God? How can you plan a church and work a full-time job at the same time? That's impossible. And so God uses churches just like this. So when you walk down these halls on your way out of church this morning, you'll see 
letters and pictures of missionaries all across the planet. Africa and Asia and Europe, Australia and the Philippines and, and the Far East and the Middle East and Canada and Mexico, as far down as Argentina. We send these men money to help them plant churches and win souls and reach people. That's called fulfilling the Great Commission. Now you say, Pastor, is that a perfect plan? Absolutely not. I've never seen or heard of a perfect plan. But it's the best plan that I know to evangelize the lost. Because if, you've, if you have, as an individual, been given the Great Commission, and we as a local church have been given the Great Commission, how in the world are we going to be obedient to Christ and reach the lost in Japan unless we have an ambassador sent out by this church to represent us? How many of you have ever been to Japan? Two, three. How many of you speak Japanese? How many of you, were in, when you were in Japan, you planted a church, won souls, discipled and trained converts? That's what I thought. Well, you know what? The Great Commission includes, part of that command is that we reach Japan with the gospel. So this week, you get to meet a family, uh, the minks, that were called to go to Japan. They raised their support. We invested in their ministry. We have for years. And God has used them to reach the lost, disciple new converts, and plant a church that they are representing, Capital City Baptist Church, in Japan. And the more people that get involved, you say, preacher, here's what I like about missions. Everyone on any level can get involved. These kids on the front row can get involved. You say, how in the world can Braden help when it comes to missions? Well, he can pray for missionaries. He can meet these missionaries, get to know them. And as he prays daily, God, would you help them? He begins to know their needs. Would you help them raise their support? Would you help them as they adapt to a culture? He can pray for their children. But also... During the month, Ashton makes a little bit of money. Now, how many of you think that uh, Braden, how many think Braden is capable of uh, uh, making a $300 a month faith promise commitment? How many of you think God expects that out of him? But you know what he can do? He knows if I make $20 a month, I can give $2 of that to help. If you say $2. How much can $2 do? Well, if you get enough kids giving $2, you get 50 kids giving $2, you got a missionary supported by Capital City Baptist Church going somewhere around the world to reach those people the gospel of Christ. So don't think for a minute that my money doesn't count. Collectively, it certainly counts. And I don't think for a minute that anyone is exempt from fulfilling the Great Commission. Too often we justify ourselves and think, well, God doesn't expect me to be involved in missions. I'm going to explain to you, biblically here, here in a minute, how you can know for sure God does expect you and God doesn't exempt any child of God from participating in this great work. Now, 2 Corinthians 8 is not actually speaking of the faith promise giving system that we've set up. But it's speaking of grace giving. Now, here's what's happening in this chapter. Jerusalem, the church at Jerusalem was extremely poor and going through financial crisis. So Paul was asking these other churches and the church of Macedonia to raise quite a bit of money, helping them out. And Corinth had promised to send money and had not kept their promise. So Paul's going back and saying, 
you made a commitment to help. Now, how many of you understand there are needs in Africa, Australia, China? Have any of you or many of you traveled outside the United States of America and seen the need? How many of you have traveled outside the United States of America? The majority of people in the church, you know those around the world are less fortunate than we are when it comes not only to the gospel, but financially. And here's what he said. Although the church of Macedonia were experiencing, verse 2, deep poverty, what's it say? They abounded unto the riches of their liberality. Now, why did they abound? Let me say, why should we get involved in giving? Why should we help these missionaries? Why should we make sacrifices? Because there, there is a great door, an open door, an effectual door to reach the lost. Now, I want you to think about something. Most of you don't know about a church budget in the United States of America, but to run a church and pay the bills and do what we do, church in the United States of America have budgets that are hundreds of thousands of dollars many exceed a million dollars just for a staff, a school, an institute, outreach, bills, lights. All of these things cost a lot of money. Now think about this for a minute. What is the average budget of a church in Africa? The entire budget. A church in most of these third world countries, it doesn't matter if it's Mexico or Chile or Guatemala or Peru, we're talking about a thousand or a few thousand dollars a month. That's a great investment because it costs so little to run these ministries. It costs so little. We're going to help Brother Porter put up a building here in a couple of weeks. And we're investing about $2,500 in that building. I imagine for five, $6,000, they're going to have that building put up. Now, it's not fancy. Brother Keith Stenson sent me a picture a couple weeks ago of a building that they put up, a pole building with a metal roof. He said, this week, Pastor, you, you as Americans, you need to learn from us because we constructed an entire building and finished the bathroom in two days. I said, that's phenomenal. Send me the picture. So here's the pole building with the metal roof. And the bathroom, they took the, I'm not making this up, they took the top off of an ant hill, poisoned the ants, put up two poles and a tarp around the side, and that was their bathroom. Now, some of you don't want to go with me to Africa on the missions trip this next year after having heard that. I'm just saying it's amazing how cheaply these ministries run around the world and how expensive it is to operate in the United States of America. Americans want their comforts. Americans want the building just a perfect temperature. They want their building to be beautiful and their nurseries to be nice. But most foreign countries, they're not concerned about that. They're simply concerned about a building with a roof that keeps the rain off off their head. They're not concerned about the temperature inside or even the comfort of the benches. But when you hear about what's happening around the world, talk to these men and listen, just the ministry. I love talking to Brother Sutek and he's always excited. And Brother James Hoffmeister and these men, but they're getting into public schools and there they have a captive audience. They're given an hour and literally they can't keep up. With the opportunity, these schools are inviting them in and allowing them to preach the Bible. 
an hour at a time to three and four and 500 students at a time. Imagine that kind of an audience. Imagine the government in the United States of America telling you, you can bring a preacher in, we'll get all the students together and give you an hour to preach to them the gospel. These are open doors you're just not seeing in the United States of America. We watched, now I know every country's not open, but thank God for Uganda. Thank God for the Philippines. Thank God for Mexico. Thank God where the gospel is being readily received, but this door is not going to be open forever. These doors open and shut. But while we can support what's happening in the Philippines, while we can support, and I know some people say, well, don't you think that we've supported too many missionaries in Mexico? You know where you send the laborers? Wouldn't it be foolish to have 500 acres of apple trees and it's August and September and you send two there and you have 20 acres of orange trees and you send two there and you have a, a backyard of tomato plants and you send two there, you know what's going to happen? You're going to lose a lot of the apple harvest because you're saying we need to equally divide the laborers no, you send the laborers where there's the greatest harvest and there's an incredible harvest taking place in Uganda and there's not enough laborers. We've been to the Philippines. I was in Mexico for nine years and here was the general philosophy of pastors and churches across the nation. Oh, Pastor Mexico's overrun with missionaries. Nothing can be further from the truth. That's why we were in the city of Pachuca with 600, 800,000 people. And when we came to this city, there was one other independent Baptist church with about 50 people. And Mexico's overrun with missionaries. Tennessee is overrun with Baptists. Florida is overrun with Baptists. Parts of Texas are overrun with Baptists. I'm hearing people saying, well, we got to get some churches planted in Alabama and Missouri and Georgia. And we do? There's a world out there. If you travel in Argentina, you can visit cities of 500,000, 800,000, a million people with no gospel witness of any kind. Uh, and uh, we as Baptists, here's what we're concerned about. Now, we're convinced we're poor because TV and propaganda in this world's told you you don't have enough. If you have 20 Three dresses, that's not enough because there's a shade of green that you still don't own. And all those shoes that you've collected, they're still a color that you need. I have white, but the heel's not high enough in that shade of white. And there's a world out there that's unreached, and we have the Great Commission 2,000 years later. Now, this, this is what I can't quite understand. The Mormons have been around for just a couple hundred years. The Jehovah Witnesses have been around for just a couple hundred years. And if you travel to these countries and you talk to these missionaries, here's what you'll find. In places the independent Baptists have never reached with the gospel of Christ, there's a Mormon church and there's a Jehovah Witness. In 200 years, those religions have propagated their false message across the planet. While independent Baptists who sat on their hands and waited for someone else to do the job. Now, God's not going to call all of us to the mission field. God will just call a few of us to the mission field. But God has called all of us to participate in missions on some level. 
And here's what you're going to see starting this next Sunday for an entire week. Now, we do something unique that most churches don't do. We run Sunday to Sunday. We, we are begging you. We're asking you to be here as much as you can possibly be here. And then simply allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart and life and say, God, what would you have me personally to do? I want Brittany, I have a daughter that's 13, another one that's 16, another one that has a son that is 18, and I want all three of them participating in mission because the, the door is so wide open, the opportunity is so incredible, and it doesn't matter if it's radio, we, we support Brother Gino, and the gospel's being sent to countries where you can't even preach, but through the radio, we were just at Brother Martin's, thousands of people getting saved. Here's this building that's just, it's just building after building after building and all these people swarming around, hundreds of kids in the institute, churches being planted every year, Bible institutes being opened by the dozens, just incredible opportunities. They just put up a radio station uh, with a listenership that could reach 600,000 people. Now, let me ask you this. We're commanded to reach the lost, what would happen if I asked you how many of you actually saw someone personally saved this past year, the past 12 months? The percentages would be very low, even in a church as active as this church. Maybe you've reached one or two or half a dozen people. Say, Pastor, how can I reach more? Get involved in missions. Send a representative to help you reach those around the world. Now, here's the great opportunity. Really, this life has us consumed, and we're not as concerned about the eternal as we ought to be. How many of you realize that your focus is supposed to be on the eternal, but it's constantly on the earthly? It's about food and provisions and food and provisions and... Food and provisions. You eat, and then you work to try to provide for what you just ate. You work to earn a, a little bit of money to pay the bills. And it's just this cycle of earthly responsibilities. And God says, here's why we have a, a missions conference occasionally, to get your eyes off yourself and your needs and your responsibilities and say there's a world out there that needs to hear the gospel of Christ. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 9. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad. He hath given to the poor. His righteousness remaineth, what's it say? Forever. For, forever is a word that's hard to comprehend. But we're supposed to be focused on forever. There's a lost world out there that'll die and without Christ spend forever in a lake of fire. And that ought to get our attention but here's what mission does. It, help, it helps us focus on forever. Turn your Bible to 2 Timothy. Go a few pages to the right. You'll pass some smaller books. You'll pass Thessalonians. And then you'll get to 1 Timothy. You want to go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. Look what it says. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this light. Now, if we're honest with ourselves this morning, we'd have to admit, we are entangled. Have you ever been in debt? Had any kind of debt? Credit card debt? 
uh, you were gotten hurt to pay for something, buy it, but uh, you didn't have the cash, so you pulled out the card, and then you realized with the interest and everything else, you were entangled. Most Americans are entangled. We've fallen into this trap. Now, in order to reach the world, one of the first things we need to do is just get out of debt. The best thing you could do, how many of you have read the news? You know what's happening in this nation. You understand we have an economy that's on the verge of collapse because those that are in government have hurried us into debt that we can't even, on a level we can't comprehend. But we've kind of carried that over to a personal philosophy. If I can't afford it, I'll just charge it. Then we find ourselves with all kind of obligations that we can't meet and, and tension and stress that's unnecessary because we were buying things that we didn't even truly need to impress people we truly didn't even like, spending money we didn't even have, and it's, that's a bad place to be. We're entangled. We're caught in this trap. What do I do? Simplify. You don't need new furniture every three years. Thank God for Craigslist. You can buy things at about a fourth of the price. Amen. You can find, you, you don't have to update that car as often as you think. People say maintenance, maintenance. You know what? Maintenance is still often a whole lot cheaper than a vehicle payment, a car payment, and every time you trade vehicles, you're losing three, four, five thousand dollars because the devaluation of that vehicle, and we're just caught in this cycle where we're constantly being bombarded by propaganda that says, you need something newer, you need something nicer, go buy it, don't wait, don't be patient, just go get it. I was shocked when we first came here and met with the young couples and Ask them to be honest. How many of you have debt besides your mortgage payment? And everyone raised their hand. It's a concept foreign to foreigners. People in foreign countries just don't do that. They just Now it's changing because the materialism and the mindset in America is starting to spread across the planet. It's becoming a global problem. But just 10 years ago, you go to Mexico and people just didn't, they didn't comprehend debt. They all had mattress money. You talked about poverty in Mexico, but the average Mexican has no debt and has money under the mattress. And Americans don't have an extra nickel, don't have a dime in their bank account and oh, money everywhere. They're entangled. Here's what, go with me to Luke 8. Here's what the Bible says about it. Luke chapter 8. Verse 14, and that which fell among the thorns are they, talking about the seed and the sower and the seed that's been sown, and it falls on different types of ground. But it says, speaking of the thorny ground, these are they which fell when they fell, when they've heard they go forth, and look what it says. They are what? Choked. What are they choked with? Cares, riches, and pleasures, this sounds like it's prophetical. You know what Americans are choked by? Cares, riches, and pleasures. Gotta have that boat. Gotta have another car. Gotta have, we went fishing a couple years ago with a man and he said to go out to the garage and, and choose your pole. I went out there, literally the man had 40 fishing poles. One man, no children, 
40 fishing poles. How big is your boat? What in the world are you going to do with four? If you fish night and day and day and night and put a different lure on every pole, you couldn't use 40 fishing poles, but someone had convinced him to invest all that money in things he did not need and would not use. Boy, I'll tell you what, you want to talk about being choked? Go to your closet. Try to sort that mess out. Your garage, your attic, just go to your kitchen and start opening your cupboards and look at all the things in there you haven't used in six months, 12 months. But there are things someone convinced you that you need. I mean, if your house caught fire, it'd take three days to burn the junk in your attic. That's the American mindset. And then our garages aren't big enough. We don't even use our garages in America for vehicles. It's for our junk collection. And then when we've outgrown our garage, our attic, our closet, and our shed, then we've got to go rent storage, storage unit. To maintain our collection, we're choked. And here's what a missions conference does. It says, hold on for a second. Get a grip. Get a focus. What do we save for? What is life about? We've become junk collectors, and God says, your focus ought to be there are people across this planet that will never hear not one time. Souls are crying. Men are dying. How many, according to statistics, 3 billion of those 7 billion have never one time heard a clear presentation of the gospel. Here's the problem. There are hundreds of missionaries out there in deputation trying to write support. While we're convinced that we can't give another $3, $5, $10, $20 to help someone buy a Bible, get the gospel, go to a foreign field, preach the love of Christ, because as Americans, we're convinced we've got to have a nicer house, newer car, fancier clothes. And I'm not against any of those things. I think we truly are clueless about how much we misspend. And if we'd cut a few things out of our lifestyle, we could actually participate. We're not talking about, you know, when we give tithes and we give offerings, that's kind of selfish because that's maintaining the building. That's helping maintain the Christian school and the Bible Institute and the things that are necessary to, to keep the church looking nice and buy the posters and do all these things. But when we send money across the planet, we never personally see that. Right? Not till we get to heaven. You say, preacher, well, that will affect my... Go back with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. That will affect my style of living. Absolutely. But didn't missions affect Christ's style of living? 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes... He became poor. Aren't you glad that Christ gave up heaven and came to earth? That's an incredible change of living. He became poor that ye through his poverty might become rich. Now, here's the blessing of missions. Our money is multiplied. Go back to, to 2 Corinthians 9 where we just read earlier. Verse 10 Speaking of the seed and sowing the seed. Now, he that ministers seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply 
your seed sown. Here's the blessing of missions. When you give, and you'll see this in the Bible, here's a Bible principle. When you give to help others, God will multiply that. What you spend on yourself is not multiplied. How many of you ever noticed that? Well, you spend it on yourself and it's just gone. You're like, what happened to that money? Anything you spend on yourself, it, it just, it disappears. It's wasted. You think, good night. I made $4,200 this month and I can't find a dime of it. And I, don't, I didn't even live that nice. I didn't even have that much. I didn't get to eat out as much as I wanted to. I didn't buy the things I, I was ho really hoping to get. Where did that money go? But when you invested in others... How many of you remember that widow that was about ready to die was baking a little cake and the prophet came and she gave and God began to bless and multiply and while others were starving to death, she was eating. The little lad, we remember the story of the, the feeding of the 5,000 and often forget that lad came and gave his lunch. You know how hard it is for a boy to give up his lunch? The whole sack? He didn't reach out and grab a handful and say, you can take the rest. He gave everything to Christ and Christ multiplied it. And here's what God says. God says, when you get involved in helping others and meeting their needs and reaching the lost, I can multiply. So that $5 goes a whole lot further than your $5 in the States goes. I wish I could take you around the world. I wish I could take you to Mexico where you could see some of you've been, but I wish you could see that building that we have. In some sense of the word, it's nicer than our building here. Our auditorium is larger. The second floor is gorgeous with a view of the city. Nice winding steps on a beautiful avenue there in town. And if you knew what it's worth, and how little it costs to build. You say, preacher, it doesn't make sense. How did that happen? God multiplies money that's invested in missions. If you saw Alejandro and his piece of land and the building they're putting up, if you saw, listen, if you went by Miguel's church and saw it right there on the highway, and now they have Sunday school area and they have a... A fellowship hall area and they have an institute building with bathrooms and they have their main auditorium, all simple but nice, and you, you look at the crowd and you look at these people and you look at their income, you say, how? How did they get this? How in the world did they manage? How did they finance these buildings? How? You know what happens? God takes the money that's given and multiplies it. So it doesn't matter. You say that maybe Stuart says, I only have $10 a month that I'm going to give. God can take that $10 and multiply it to such a degree you wouldn't even imagine what God is doing and how God is using that money. If you went and saw Brother Stensus there or uh, Brother James in Trinidad, if you just took a missions trip, which you ought to do occasionally, go visit Brother Travis. Go visit Brother Martin. Go visit Brother Sisson. Go visit Brother Trimble. You're, you're supporting a man for $100 a month. When you meet Brother Trimble, you're going to think, he is funny. You know Brother Trimble pastors a church twice as large as ours with an institute twice as large? Little do you know the way God is using that man to reach his city with the gospel of Christ. 
If you knew, we talk about the Apostle Paul, but if you knew what the Stences family was doing all across Uganda with radio stations and churches and now training nationals and the way that's beginning to blossom, 21 medical teams have gone over and treated thousands of people and seen hundreds of converts and what God is continuing to do and we get to invest and watch God multiply the seed that we've sown I don't know a better way to invest our money. Well, Pastor, we're talking about a building project. Well, Pastor, we're talking about... Uh, listen, why don't we do God's work and let God concern himself with the details of our work? Amen. You say, we're going to cut back on missions? Not on your life. Uh, because as we win dozens of souls a month, our missionaries are winning thousands of souls a month. And we want that on our heavenly bank account. Amen? Here's the opportunity this presents. Look what it says in verse 6. Talking about grace giving. What's the key word in this? Grace. Look what it says in verse 6. In so much we desired Titus that as he'd begun, so he would also finish in you. What's it saying? The same grace also. Verse 7. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith, utterance, knowledge, and all diligence in your love to us, see that ye abound in what? This. So what are we supposed to abound in? Grace. If we're going to make and fulfill the Great Commission and make this work, we are going to have to abound in grace. Now, here's something Baptists lack. Grace. And that's our opportunity. Preach the truth. Tell the truth. How many like to stand on truth? If you don't, you got a problem. Uh, how many want to know the truth, the truth of God's word? How many believe this Bible, the Holy Word of God, contains the truth? Is the truth. The very truth out of God's mouth. Now, we're supposed to be full of both grace and truth. Not just truth. And here's what's going to happen. Next week, you're going to have families rolling to town that have been in Japan and uh, uh, Paraguay and China and the Philippines and, uh, and all across the planet. And they are traveling. They have kids that have been cooped up in a car. How many of you like to put your three-year-old in a car and travel 14 hours Climb out, greet someone in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then put that child that's just been in that car in someone's home where they've never been, in a bed where they've never slept, in a bathroom where they've never showered, come to a church they've never seen, greet people they don't know, drop their kids off in a nursery that freaks them out, and then you say, Boy, that kid seems whiny. Yeah. You scared the bejeebers out of him. You say, we're going to support that family? Yes. You know how and why? Because we're going to show grace. You say, preacher, would you support him? Well, here's what I'll do. I'll refrain from supporting them. If you go with your perfect family, I'll invest in you. Oh, you know what? Let's just support them. 
Amen? I don't need them to have a perfect marriage. Well, we've brought missionaries through before. I had Brother Mark and Chris take a missionary family. That down, and the husband and the wife were fighting. And uh, Preacher, what are we going to do? Uh, you've never fought? Tell me about your perfect marriage. Tell me how you've been flawless for 18 years, and you've always loved each other. You've never looked cross at each other. You've never raised your voice, and I'll support you. Amen? This is an opportunity to show grace. You know what's going to happen? You're going to offer or volunteer to, to bring a basket for one of these missionaries. And about the time you're handing them, you've just sacrificed. You've invested $100 that you didn't have to provide them something special. And when you go to hand it to them, you're going to notice that diamond ring on her finger is bigger than your diamond. And you're going to go, What? And their car is nicer than yours, and they have a newer model vehicle than you do. And you're going to say, they should be supporting me. <laughs> you know what? The wonderful thing about missions is this is an opportunity for us as Baptists with little grace to actually exercise a muscle that's weak called grace. We get to show grace. And this is an opportunity to move out of our fancy bed and give them a fancy bed. This is an opportunity to spoil them. You say, well, Pastor, we gave $400,000 last year. What can we do with $400,000? With $400,000, we reached thousands and thousands and thousands of souls. And we put up buildings. I wish I could just take pictures of the buildings we put up. So you could see there are people that are meeting. Now, simple buildings, there's nothing fancy, amen? But that's not the point. People are getting saved and Bibles have been put in their hands and others around the world from South Africa, Zimbabwe, and Uganda, and to China, to the... I wish you could see these structures in the Philippines. I wish you could see where we met. Yeah, some of them are nice and some of them are brick and some of them are painted and other ones are just thatched roofs and pole barns. But we have the opportunity of putting that into place for people that can't do that for themselves. While we sit here and say, well, you know, I'm giving all I can give as we're sipping on a $4 coffee, standing in $180 shoes with a $200 suit and a $60 tie, driving in an $18,000 vehicle, I'm giving everything I can. I don't think you're hurting for certain. I think you're brain dead. I think you've watched too much TV and you've been convinced that you're living the low life when you're really living the high life. You're living the dream. They're living a nightmare, but this world's convinced you you're poor. You know what? We're not poor. If you want to talk to someone that's poor, talk to someone in here that's over 50, and they'll tell you about being poor. When I was a kid, <laughs> I've heard those, man, I've heard those stories, huh? Yeah, that whole milk in the cow store. Everyone that's poor has a milk in the cow store like everybody before 1965 owned a cow. 
I didn't believe in that, walking 16 miles to school. Yeah, you would have weighed 35 pounds. I've seen your school pictures. You weighed 185. Don't walk 16 miles to school. We were so poor, we didn't have a milk pail. We had to put that thing in a cup and then bring it back and drop it in the bucket and go back. I shut it down, you ain't. It's Americans, we're not poor. But this world's convinced us poor. And Satan has you convinced you're poor. And that's why you've gone into debt. You've made yourself poor. In order to participate in missions, you're going to have to get out of debt, put your household in order. You, shouldn't, you should not have a mortgage that you can't pay for and vehicles that you can't afford. Simplify your life. Stop paying 18% interest to Lowe's. That's not brilliant. And then you might be able to help someone else around the world that's actually in great need. Look what it says. Two more things will be done. Verse 8. I speak not by commandment, by occasion of the forwardness of others. And to what? Prove the sincerity of your love. Now, here's what next week's about. You get to prove the sincerity of your love to God. How many of you say, I love God? Be careful, I'm going to set a trap here. I want to see your hands. I want to see this. I'm going to set the trap and then... How many say, I love God? Raise your hand. I see the hands. I want to take a look around the auditorium. About 60% of you. Okay, no wonder I have such a struggle pastoring Cap City Baptist Church. Only 60% of my congregation even loves God. You know what? Going to church doesn't prove your love to God. That's just fulfilling a basic Bible command. If you tithe, well, I tithe, and God, I know I love. No, tithe is fulfilling a basic Bible command. Grace giving is love. Now, women, how many of you fell in love and that man proved his love through grace giving? He bought you flowers. That's grace giving. And he took you out to eat. That's grace giving. And then you got married and he paid the light bill. That's called duty. That's not grace giving. How many hug his neck every time he pays the light bill? You're such a wonderful husband. You paid the light bill again. No. When he brings you flowers, he's a wonderful husband. When he buys you a new dress, he's a wonderful husband. How many of you ever, he walked in the bill with that, he walked into the door with a paid water bill and you, one foot, and you grabbed him by the neck and planted a kiss on his cheek and said, you lovely, lovely man, you paid the water bill again? God bless you. You are a saint. No. You say, you didn't pay the water bill? It was two days late. What are you thinking? I don't care if you don't have the money. Get the money. Pay the bill. That's your job. Don't be a slob. Right? That's expected. Now, here's what we do. We come to church. God, I'm here. I love you. And God says, really? You're not even enjoying it. You come to church and you pull out. You got that tithe ready, but you're mad about it. You're hanging on to it for a dear life. You've grabbed that bill so many times, you've rubbed George Washington's face right off of it. 
And you finally pull it out and put it in the plate and you go home. We're not going out to eat today because I had to pay my tithe. You know, God's not even mad if you're ticked off. So I gave it, but I'm not happy. God says, so what? You're supposed to give it. So there, do it. It's like paying the water bill. It's like paying the electric bill. My wife has never asked me when I got home from paying the bills, did you do it with a smile? <laughs> I hope you were happy about that. I sat down with my family. Man, we, we had a, all of our utilities come on one bill. We had a bill this summer. It, a good night. I got that bill. I said, what, what are you guys doing? Stop watering the yard. Stop bathing the dog. You got two minutes to take a shower. Start using candles. Lights are outlawed after six o'clock. What is up with this family? You know what? I went down and I paid that bill. And the lady at the counter said, you want to pay all of this at one time? No. <laughs> but I have to or they shut it off. Now, I wasn't happy about that, but that has nothing to do with love. So my wife doesn't care. <laughs> She's not doing a smile check at the HGP counter. But if I bring her a gift. The same way I pay that bill, and I march into the house, and I slap that thing on the counter. Happy birthday! <laughs> Big 43. I've been doing this for 21 years. Let me guess. You're going to want another one next year. What do you think she's going to do? You know why? That is supposed to be a demonstration of love. So here's what you do. When you walk into church, some of you walk in with a sour face, you ought to change that and change up every once in a while. Come in with a smile. You know, surprise someone. And when you give, you say, listen, I'm supposed to give to you. You're not supposed to give till it hurts. You're supposed to give till it hurts and then keep on giving till it feels good. If you haven't gotten to the place where it gives till it feels good, you haven't, you're not at the right spot. I mean, some, some of you, seriously, bless your hearts. Good night. I, we got members of this church, they get to heaven. They're going to be down there with a the scraper trying to scrape some of the gold off the street. <laughs> Putting it in their pot, you know, walking around in their heavenly garment, you know. <laughs> Saving up for a bad minute in heaven. You're supposed to love him. Now, here's what happens. Next week, when it comes to giving, grace giving, to reach the world, don't come with a frown. No, this is about love. God said this is about proving. Next week is a love check. You can fake it all year long, but next week, the proof's in the pudding. You cannot love God, truly love God, and not be involved in grace giving, missions giving, sacrificial giving. You can't love God. It's an impossibility. God said this about proving the sincerity of your love. Verse 11, now therefore, he's rebuking them. He said, you made a promise, perform the doing of it. Verse 12, for if there be first a willing mind, it is except according to the, what a man hath, not according to what a man hath, not. What's that mean? 
Give what you can. Verse 13, for I mean not that other men be eased and ye be burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. How many of you believe in equality? Oh, when it comes to missions, no one does. I don't believe in equality. No, sorry. You know equality is a Bible principle. And Paul said, I'm coming here and preaching and telling you, give, help those people. And he used the churches of Macedonia as an example. And he said, they promised, they performed. Now you that promise ought to perform so that there may be an equality. When we're talking about missions, we're talking about equality. Let's talk about equality. We got a missionary in here. You know what a missionary does? A missionary's been working a job. He's been buying a house, has a mortgage to pay, and all these responsibilities in life. The Holy Spirit comes by, taps him on the shoulder, and says, I want you in the ministry. He goes forward, surrenders to the work of God, and God says, quit your job and go to the field. Now he has a problem. What's his problem? He has no money, but he sure has plenty of time on his hands. He's supposed to have plenty of time because you know what he's supposed to be doing? Reaching the lost, starting a church, preaching the gospel, but he ain't got no money. Lots of time, no money. That's a problem. But you have no time. Why? You got a boss cracking the whip. And you're supposed to be working. You're supposed to be. That doesn't mean you're doing it. You're supposed to be working 40 or 50 hours a week. Sometimes you're drinking coffee. Sometimes you're eating. Sometimes you're just hiding out. You're getting putting in about 28 tough hours and making about income off a of 40 hour let's not even go there amen whatever the case you're still making money but he's not so here's the equality God says he has time no money you have money no time so meet each other's needs he'll provide you the time by reaching the lost in that country you provide him the money that's the way it works so they've given up their job they go to a foreign country uh, they're working in that country, reaching the lost, preaching, so let's support them in their ministry. We'll provide for them the money. Everyone's involved. Some may be given $5, $100, $1,000 a month, whatever God tells you to do. We take that money collectively. We spread it out among our missionaries, send it overseas. They work. You say, Pastor, I'm tired of providing them the money. Not a problem. You believe in Bible principle, principle of equality, right? So when you get tired of providing them the money, stop and trade places. So if you don't want to provide the money, provide the time, just go. So now, oh, people don't like that. that, that we're supposed to provide one. So we're either there going and working or we're here helping those that have gone. How many of you truly from the bottom of your heart, you want to live in Uganda? No, <laughs> aren't you thankful that you can just send money to Brother Keith and let him work in Uganda? How many of you truly want to live in Siberia? That's what I thought. How many prefer Austin, Texas? I'm pretty, pretty comfortable with the house you have. How many go with God sent you? How many would, would refuse if God sent you? Now, you know what missions is about? Missions is about reaching people the gospel of Christ. Here's what we're about at this church, reaching people the gospel of Christ. 
If you're here, you've never given your heart and life to Christ, you've never been saved, never been born again, before you ever send a dime to help someone in one of those foreign countries, you need to first give your heart to God, get born again, become a born-again child of the Heavenly Father, let Him begin to do a work, a life-changing work in you, and you'll understand, you can't even understand missions. You can't understand this concept until you get born again. You got to first get saved. Let's stand together, close our eyes. Father, we pray this morning.